0: 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Paul writes to Timothy, who is an elder, Timothy, an elder set apart to be the leader of the church in Ephesus. But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led away by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all, notice that word all, all, who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray that God will speak to us from his words. Our Father, our prayer is simply that, that you would speak to us clearly from your word, This is your inspired word through the Apostles' pen. Help us to listen. Help us not to think this is extreme. This is the Bible. It's how we are to be. It's the standard. So necessary. Help us, Lord, to listen. As if Jesus were speaking. For his sake. Amen. Now, there are some uh, headings on the back of the service sheet that you might find uh, helpful. To Timothy is a letter written to a Christian leader. The letter describes false and true leadership, or we might say fake and authentic Christian leadership. It describes how dangerous And destructive false leadership is, by contrast, it describes how safe and transforming true leadership is. Why does this matter? Because people's lives and souls are at stake. Follow a false leader, and that might destroy your life. Might, because God is always sovereign. Follow a false leader that might destroy your life. Be a false leader, and you might destroy lives. Follow a true leader, and that will build your life in Christ. Be a true leader, and build people up in their faith. Who are Christian leaders? Elders who lead churches. Some of you will come from different church traditions to here, and you might call the elders by other names. Elders lead churches. People like me and who are set apart to do the job full-time, like Timothy, to whom this letter is written, and elders like those sitting in the front tonight, like David, who will become an elder tonight, who serve alongside other work. Elders are Christian leaders who lead churches. Those currently in leadership need to take note. This letter is written directly to us. Those who aspire to Christian leadership as elders in the future, those who are being trained for Christian leadership. And in a church like Chalmers, the many people who have leadership roles in addition to the elders, small group leaders, For example, let me show you the relevance of this. Does it matter as a small group leader that you are true to what the Bible says you should be? Does it matter that your small group leader is a person who teaches truth and who is circumspect in the way they live? The middle chapters of this letter, two and three, in the beginning of chapter four, describe the Christian uh, leader. They are the last words of the Apostle Paul before his own death. These are the last words of the Apostle Paul to the first and every generation since of Christian leaders. This is core, basic, ABC material on Christian leadership. Paul's description of the Christian leader is both positive, this is what true leadership is, and negative, this is what false leadership is. Now, just to have a look back at the beginning of chapter two, I'm going to just uh, fly across the top of the whole picture of the Christian leader. So, here's what he describes in chapter two the Christian leader is a team player and a trainer of teachers, that's one, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a worker that cuts straight as if he were holding a scythe in a field of corn, that's the Greek, cuts straight with the word, no spin or sound bites. The Christian leader, chapter 2, verse 20 to 21, is a pure vessel and then a humble, gracious servant who teaches truth. There's a rich, picture uh, part one a soldier a fighter who is gracious and kind and gentle uh, 2 Timothy 3 1 to 15 we'll look at tonight and then after that 2 Timothy three sixteen to 4 8 uh, we'll see that God willing next Sunday night a Christian leader is someone who holds on to what they know about the word of God when it's tough who preaches the word, who keeps their head, endures suffering, does evangelism and gets to the end. Now, just before we come down from altitude into the details of chapter three, if you were to distill Christian leadership into two things, it would be this life and teaching. Life. And teaching. How someone lives and what they teach. They go together. How you live, what you teach. A true leader is godly and teaches truth. A false teacher is ungodly and does not teach truth. Life and teaching. If you want to take the measure of a Christian leader, look at their life and listen to their teaching. If you want to pray for a Christian leader, pray for their life, their godliness, and their faithfulness to teach the truth. If you want to train a Christian leader, disciple them in godliness and teach them to love God's Word and teach it. If you aspire to leadership, As those of us in leadership pray that many of you are, and that's a right desire, pay heed to your godliness and to your teaching of the truth, life and teaching, and we'll see them here in chapter 3. Let's turn there now. Two points you'll see on the sheet, they're not short, and they don't begin with the same letter and there are two and not three. But nonetheless, there we go. First, the negative, verses one to nine. Avoid false leaders who have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power, and who don't know and teach the truth. I mean, you could summarize that in a neat sentence beginning with A or a B or a C, but actually that's what he says. Avoid false leaders Who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power and who do not know nor teach the truth and when you read verses 1 to 9 they begin with a general description of the last days but understand this verse 1 that in the last days there will come times of difficulty what are the last days they are the period between the ascension of jesus after his death and resurrection and his return it's the church age the age of gospel witness we are living and witnessing in the last days And in one sense, the picture that Paul paints in these verses is a general and a timeless description of the godless world in which the church witnesses. But the language implies that Paul is talking not in general terms about the last days, but about particularly stressful or difficult times for the church. There will come times of difficulty particularly difficult, stressful periods for the church. Timothy was facing just such a time in Ephesus, a time in the ancient world when there was a shift in the culture or morality. perhaps. On Friday, here in Edinburgh, I was part of a group, considering with others the state of Scotland and the church. Here's a quotation from a very helpful little book entitled Knowing Our Times, the author John Stevens writes this, the culture of the UK is fundamentally secular and increasingly so. This is reflected in political and intellectual life. And above all, in the all-dominant media, which reflects a constantly negative attitude towards Christian belief. The situation of the church as a whole in the UK is dire. Most, you might not think it is, because you go to busy churches, 1% of the city does. Most of the mainstream denominations are in rapid decline, a decline as a result of the triumph of theological liberalism, which has seen the church abandon biblical religion and capitulate to the culture. Now listen to this, the situation in Scotland is very different from England, There's a stronger base of traditional church going kept decline and secularization at bay for a generation. However, churches in Scotland have begun to decline at phenomenal and unprecedented speed, leaving Scotland now as by far and away the most secular nation in Europe. There we go. What happens in a time of rapid cultural shift, the kind of rapid secularisation we're experiencing in the UK with Scotland leading the way, is that the church comes under real pressure to conform and capitulate to that culture. And that has happened past tense in Scotland now for the majority of the church. It is a done deal and a secular Scotland and what we might now call a new brand of civic Christianity that conforms to and increasingly aligns with, indeed promotes this new zeitgeist or spirit of the age where truth is relative, morality subjective rights trump responsibilities, and where the new convictions, convictions that are relative, that have become absolute. That's what happens when you shift from a Christian culture to a secular culture. What is absolute is relativized and then what is relative is absolutized. So what is absolute in our culture are principles like respect and tolerance and equality that are increasingly exclusive. rather than inclusive and when that becomes the mainstream in the culture and in the church the churches and christians stick to the bible and the gospel find themselves in times of difficulty and when a godless world and a worldly church a church without god aligns themselves it is tough and the pressure to conform is very very uh, strong why is it strong because it is so much easier to be part of the mainstream, to get a seat at the table. And let me hand on heart tell you that temptation is very real. Verses 2 to 4 describe a godless culture. Look at the bookends, verse 2. People will be lovers of self. The other bookend, the end of verse 4 rather than lovers of god people will be lovers of self rather than lovers of god and it's at that point that paul shifts the end of verse four from talking about the general picture of the world to talking about leaders of churches the end of verse four having the appearance of godliness but denying its power how do we know he's talking about church leaders because of the content of the rest of the letter and the context of why he writes the letter timothy this true christian leader is facing a time of real difficulty and pressure because all around him other christian leaders are conforming to that culture then and now it's the same now you wouldn't dare say any of this stuff if it weren't in the bible i'm kind of sensing as i'm saying this that i might be thinking if i was listening to this Who does he think he is? It's the Apostle Paul. Inspired by the Lord Jesus. To write to every generation of leaders in the church. And the shock here, and it is a shock, that these leaders in the church look the part. They have the appearance of godliness. They look the part. And when I say they look the part... Get out of your mind a caricature of somebody dressed up in ecclesiastical finery, robes, colour, the rest of it. I might be dressed up in all of that and be the part. I might be the real thing, the real deal. It's nothing to do with the clothes we wear. It's the position of leadership the leader occupies. A minister, an elder in a church, a professor of theology, a small group leader in the church they have the appearance of godliness they look the part but by their life and by their teaching they are seen to be what they truly are false leaders and you see these are always the tests of genuineness life and teaching and when you speak about this amongst christian leaders that are seeking to be godly they put up their hands and say please may i resign now my life is not like Jesus, and my teaching is not like the Apostle Paul. And godliness is not the same as sinlessness. It is contrition. It is a heart that wrestles and wrestles and wrestles with sin. It is a sense of risk. And it is somebody who works hard to prep their Bible study conscious that their job is to speak the truth. These leaders look the part. A false leader is a lover of self, not a lover of God. A false leader is swollen with conceit. A false leader engages in a lifestyle that is godless or affirms a lifestyle that is godless. What does that mean? A lifestyle that is an expression of what I want as a lover of self rather than what God wants as a lover of God. By Their life, you know them, and by their teaching, you know them, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, verse 7, always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Richard and Yuko are off to Japan in six months. They said to us this morning, going to teach theology, they said they could be useless In Japan for the next 20 years, if they don't love God and love people and love Jesus and attend to their lives and speak the truth, however many qualifications they have. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jamras opposed Moses in the Old Testament, so these men who oppose the truth, men corrupt, they don't know the truth. They can be a professor of theology and have never arrived. And a knowledge of the truth i can think of one such person in particular who deceived most of the commissioners at a general assembly of the church of scotland he deceived himself and he deceived others now is that too strong are these words too strong well they're not my words look ahead to verse 13 these people will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived does it matter though does it matter? Does it matter that these people don't know the truth and that they don't teach the truth? Just as Janus and Jammas opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind, false teachers who oppose Moses, false leaders and teachers in the Old Testament, in the New Testament and in the church today. these people are not believers. They are not Christians. The end of verse 8, they are disqualified regarding the faith. Does that shock us? They might look the part, but they are false. And all of our instincts, all of our 21st century instincts are not to call a spade a spade. So tempting. This is one of the sermons that I feel kind of embarrassed to preach. I feel like a complete hypocrite but that's because I'm not preaching. It's Jesus through his apostles' words. Does it matter? As much as life and death that day in the General Assembly was a watershed as the church in this nation was deceived and departed from the truth, and the consequences are now evident for all to see, False teachers, false leaders will in the end be exposed, their folly will be plain to all. How are they to be exposed? By their life and by their teaching. When you first read verse 9, it doesn't quite ring true, at least to me, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of these two men. At a human level, it looks like they get very far, and their folly is not plain to all. But that's just the moment that we live in no time at all they will be forgotten, irrelevant, remembered by no one. They are deceived themselves. Thinking that power and prestige in this life means something, it means nothing. Somebody said to me recently, I guess you were one of the guys in that structure, had you stuck around, you might have had a seat at the table and all the rest of it. And, and I said, oh, I'm glad that, I'm, I am genuinely glad that there's no chance of that. But there was one time that I was much more at risk. Paul is clear to Timothy and to us we are to, at the end of verse 5, avoid such people. Why? Because some, verse 6, are really, really bad. Because we might be deceived, verse 13, absolutely yes, many have been. These pastoral letters, 1 and 2, Timothy and Titus, are so important in helping us understand what is false and true, and to call it false and true, not to call it just a little bit different, to do it graciously, soberly yet clearly because it is a matter of life and death if you are in a church with leaders like this false leaders you should leave probably if you are going to move jobs or where you live, think really carefully about church where you go. Ask the elders, the leaders about the church you are considering going to about their lives, listening to what they are teaching. When Roger Day came as assistant minister in Chalmers, he sat all the elders down and he said to them, is there anything in your life that were it known publicly would scandalize the church? That's a pretty straight up question in the job interview. Spot on. How do you ask that question? How do I ask that question of my fellow elders and they of me? Is there anything in your life? Come on, what are you battling with? Let's pray about it. If you are a Christian leader, and many of us are in leadership roles as elders, small group leaders, teachers, be careful lest we are received. Now, let me come clean to you. From my perspective as a Christian leader... Forced by the Bible. Forced by the Bible. That's how I feel tonight. Forced by the Bible, not by my instincts, to look up and to look out on the wider church and with 2 Timothy in your hand to call false leaders false leaders. To call false teachers false teachers. And there is nothing like looking out and speaking out to make you look in and watch your own life and your godliness and your teaching. Lest I lead any of you astray, put any of you at risk, and that is scary. It's why this big chunk of the letter, chapter 2 verse 1 to chapter 4 verse 8 on Christian leadership, begins with these words, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus. So avoid false leaders who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power and who do not know nor teach the truth. But then the positive exhortation in verses 10 to 15, keep on following the example of true leaders like Paul in their godliness and teaching the truth. Let's read these verses again. They're great. Verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you continue in what you have learned and i firmly believe knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation in g now do you notice again paul's dual emphasis on life and teaching on godliness and teaching that is what we are to look for in christian leaders that is what we are to aspire to as christian leaders consider first the life of the true christian leader my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul has already said all of that in chapter two. In a great house, there are many vessels. Set yourself apart. Or chapter two, pursue righteousness, faith, and love out of a desire to be godly. Why is he repeating it here in? Verses 10 and following of chapter 3. Why is he repeating himself? He is repeating himself, but there is a difference. There is a development in his thought. Chapter 3 is just more personal. You, however, have followed me. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and from whom you have learned it. My life, you. That's the language, it's personal, it's urgent, as Paul nears the end of his life. There is something really human about this. Paul is Timothy's father in the faith, his mentor and mentors are important. Don Carson, speaking on this section, makes the point that younger leaders, indeed all leaders, should choose the right mentors and hold them in high regard. We all know the value of a Christian mentor whose life and teaching shows us by example how to live as Christians, let alone as a Christian leader. But the people who look to me as mentors, I look to them as mentors. Why? Because the mentor we should look to is Paul and Jesus. My conduct. My aim, Paul says, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Don't put the best leader you know on the pedestal. Put the apostles and the Lord Jesus. Conduct is the way he lives, his aim in life, for to me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. Faith is a devotion to the Lord Jesus, patience, love, And then the great rock principle steadfastness, consistency, courage, perseverance, and suffering. Every true Christian leader is a suffering servant of Jesus. Verses 11 and 12. A humble servant of Jesus, selfless, who suffers for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. Suffering, of course, varies depending on the circumstances or context we are in. But verse 12 is true for all true Christian leaders, for all true Christians. If you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. The devil, for one, will have a go. The worldly church, for two, will have a go. And the godless world will have a real go. Life and teaching. Verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching. That's a powerful statement. You, however, Timothy, in contrast to the false leaders and teaching, have followed my teaching. That's the apostles' teaching, which is Jesus' teaching. He inspired the apostles to write his words. and There is the true mark of the Christian leader that they are committed to the apostolic testimony that we find in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments. The new written by the apostles, the old affirmed by them. There is the genuine Christian leader, someone whose life is like Paul's and who teaches the truth Paul and the other apostles were inspired to write, someone whose life is like Jesus and who speaks Jesus' words. That is what you are to look like in a Christian leader, for that person will protect you, will disciple you, will see after you if you are lost, will shepherd you, will lead you to Jesus Christ, will tell you things that are hard, will love you through thick and thin, will sit at your bedside when you're dying. That is what you should look for. That is genuine. It is not the top standard. It is the standard. It is authentic. But it's awfully hard. The temptation to give up and give in is ever-present. Which is why Paul says, verse 14, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Keep going, Timothy. Don't give in. Don't give up or despair. Keep going, knowing from whom you learned it, from me, Paul, Timothy, your father in the faith, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. And maybe Paul is reminding Timothy again, like chapter one, of his mother and his grandmother. Some of you here, students, have godly mums or godly dads or godly grannies. Hold on to your heritage. Hold on when many around you are letting go. Hold on to what you know is true. Hold on to the simple gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins, because only that gospel, Paul reminds us, is able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ that gospel, Timothy, might not give you a seat at the ecumenical table in Ephesus. It just won't. It might mean that your church in Ephesus is not the most popular church in town in Timothy. A different gospel, yes, it would give you an easier life, and I know you are tempted in your heart, but a different gospel is not a gospel. Timothy, what you have is the gospel that saves, that saved you and will save others. Do not give that up for anything. Hold on to your heritage. There's a wonderful comment Paul makes that we'll see next week, chapter 4 and verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Better translation. Timothy, keep your head. Keep your head screwed on when everyone else is losing theirs. Don't do anything daft. And Paul now moves into an even more affectionate section of the letter when he says, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. There is in store for me a crown of. And all the time he's crying out to Timothy, this young leader, Timothy, Timothy, will you stand firm? Now, let me encourage you, this is normal, 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 basic teaching on Christian leadership. And there it is, a letter about what true and false leadership is like and why it matters so very, very much. And how appropriate it is that tonight we set apart someone to be a Christian leader in this congregation. And I want to say to David, we're going to ask him all sorts of questions. I just want to get him up here and I want to read to Timothy and I say, are you up for this, David? Are you really up for this? And and do you think he's up for this? And I want you to say with your head bowed and all of our heads bowed, yes, by God's grace I am. So don't get confused by the questions and the liturgy and all the formality. That's what he's agreeing to do. He's agreeing to be a shepherd and a teacher and a lover of God and a lover of souls. And to look out for you if you wander. To sit with you if you die as he has done. To plead to God for your salvation, for your children's salvation, and to hold on to the heritage that Christ has given us, to keep his head when others are losing theirs, to choose your leaders wisely, and leaders lead like this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this really strong passage and the clarity it brings to us on Christian leadership. We pray that we would heed it and hear it well and how appropriate it is now that David makes promises in light of all that. Help him and us to listen carefully and to commit to one another for Jesus' sake. Amen.